welcome to VAP Moments. I'm Bianca Likes and in this podcast brought to you by VAP Magazine, I talk to well-known people about those defining moments in their lives, from the most memorable ones to the most embarrassing ones to the hands-down most challenging ones. In this episode, I talk to comedian, actress and presenter Deirdre O'Kane. Right, let's do this. Okay, we're doing it, we're doing it. Okay, Deirdre O'Kane, welcome to VIP Moments. Thanks very much, Bianca. I believe I'm your first victim. Oh my God, you're my virgin. I can't believe it. I'm your virgin. That's the quote of the day. (laughs) (laughs) It can only go downhill from there. Um, Come here, the new show Demented, you're all over the country with it, traipsing all over the place, I know. Um, It's called, yeah, it's called Demented. Mm -hmm. On a scale of like, of one to ten, how demented are you this morning? Uh, Eight. Oh, eight. <laughs> right. Eight. Give us the morning. But I'm happier now that I'm here. Now yeah, that I'm you've in made here. it. You you've made think it. When you're on your way to stuff. Ah, look, there's, there's, you know, there's always five jobs going on, right? You you know that. I you're do. a parent with I a am. job. So a parent with a job, <laughs> you're juggling a lot all the time. But it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Um, your most memorable childhood moment. What would I it mean, be? I mean, your most memorable childhood moment is uh, a tough one, but there is uh, always one that springs to mind because I was an Irish dancer as a child. And I think I was brought along. I have older sisters, so I was kind of brought along when I was too young. And I ended up doing a fesh, dancing on a fesh. When I wasn't four. I think I was three. So I was I was too young. Oh, but for not, whatever not reason. Not even out of the nappies, like, no, hardly. For, no, and for whatever reason, I was a lesh. They kind of let me get up mm. and do the dance. And I remember it. I remember it because I was obviously overexcited and I was jumping too high and out of time to the music. But they gave me a prize. Um, and maybe, you know, and isn't it funny that it's a moment where there was, you know, rapturous applause. It, had, it? it had to be the start of this addiction. Isn't that so interesting? And it's it? genuinely, you didn't just like pluck that out. I'll, I'll use that one. I'll tell them that one. No. That actually is your first memory. It really is. I mean, it was. Only, they say you don't remember much before three or is it four? Oh, geez, I don't think you remember and much I was, before ten. Yeah, well, well, the moments that stand out, apparently, if you're three, are dramatic things. So that would have been dramatic because it was in front of an audience, you know, and I remember the, I remember, you know, you, you can imagine like what that does to a small child. I mean, I know what it does to mm-hmm. an adult. So, yeah. So blame the parents and the siblings for, for, for starting this, for getting you into this curse of a career. Well, you know, that was, you know, maybe if you get used to the sound of applause, I don't know, but it was, I certainly remember it. Yeah. Um, and I suppose there was an excitement of being given yeah. a prize. You know, yeah. a child was going to remember something like that, aren't they? Mm. And I think they just gave me a medal because I was so little. Mm. Do you know, whereas for my mother, it was just like, well, you're you're not staying at home. Like, you're coming. If I'm taking two children to a fashion, mm. you're the third, you're coming. Like, so she more or less would have just put my name down. Yeah. I think they must have just laughed at me when I walked out on the stage and thought, this child's too small. That's too funny. <laughs> the sound of applause, though, I mean, it must be addictive. I think it is addictive and it's also if it's your way of getting if you're one of five we're all looking for um, our parents approval and love all the time aren't we so if that was a way where I got attention then I chased that down big time and were you were you the youngest no I was number four of five all right so the second youngest Mm. and you went to boarding school at what age 12 12 and what was that like um, it was fine. I think I wanted to go. I was kind of, um, it was, for me, it was the norm. Do you know what I mean? School, you don't know any different. If you're being sent to a school or a boarding school, it's just school. It's just whatever your parents have chosen. Mm. That's where you're going. Uh, and obviously I had two sisters ahead of me and they seemed happy enough. Mm. So um, 
I was, I was, yeah, I was easy about it. I mean, I was, a, I think I was a relatively easy child. I'm a bit of a chameleon. I'll kind of manage wherever you land me. Mm. I'm quite good at uh, making my way and adapting to my surroundings. And why is that, you think? Do you think because you had to when there were, you being one of five it and being second be youngest? It might be being number yeah. four. It yeah. might be being number four. There's a lot going on around you, isn't there? Like you get ignored quite a bit. So maybe that's why you're trying, fighting for attention. And maybe that, that maybe that's also why you're, you know, I think if you grow up with a lot of noise and chaos around, you. Yeah. You learn, maybe you learn to yeah. just fit in. And But I know that you say that your mum was just like innately funny. I think she's, um, she's, she's an amazing storyteller. Yeah. She's, uh, she can really tell a story, you know, and for, uh, dramatically as well as comedically. She'll, she'll move you. She'll move herself. She'll be in tears when she's telling you a story, you know, mm. um, so that, that's good storytelling. Mm, <laughs> when you yeah. can move yourself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and it is, I mean, the, a storyteller, um, it's about timing. It's same as in comedy, uh, same as in with most things in life. I think even delivering a, you know, a line to your children, it is about timing, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And it's the drama of the stories. You yeah. can make a drama out of nothing. Out of nothing. Uh, out of very little, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah dramatic time. telling of it and the pauses and, as you say, the timing, the mm. timing and the drawing you in. What about a moment that inspired you to do something? Now, I'm thinking myself to go Kenny Cat Laughs weekend, yes. but maybe it's not that. Well, I have yeah. several. You have several, that is yeah. definitely one. Yeah. I mean, that was the weekend that made me want to be a comic. And yeah. before that, I'd been an actress for 10 years. Yeah. So it was a big moment. It was a, it was a certainly a life-changing moment, yeah, for yeah. sure. Tell us about it. So what happened? I went to, I was an um, unemployed actress, as you are so much of the time when you're an actor. And I had... I was going out with Steve, who's now my husband, and uh, giving out an awful lot about the lack of work. All actors do this. It's a, it's a full time job. Um, and he said he was going down to make a television show. He was directing a TV documentary about the cat laughs. Mm. So he said, why don't you come with me and make yourself useful and get a laminate and make the tea and hang out mm. uh, and watch some comedy? I'd never watched comedy before. So I said, yeah, OK, I'll do that. Mm. So I went down and that was the best thing that the, the laminate, the, the, the blessed, sacred laminate mm. that got me into shows, because what happened was I sort of latched on to one comic in particular that I who set I really enjoyed. So I went back to see him three or four times. And that's when the penny dropped, mm. that it wasn't a stream of consciousness that he had written this material. And I honestly had a very distinctive moment of I could do that. That's so interesting, though, isn't it? Because like when, when we go to a comedy show, you kind of know it's a script, but you think that it's ad-libbed a lot of the time, which it, it can be, of course, on occasion. Be. You get a comedian like Jason Byrne, yeah. and he, he flights of fancy. And yeah. Ah, that's his genius. You know, yeah. he can go there. But most, it's, I would say yeah. 90% of yeah. what they do is scripted. Yeah. And if you are an actor and if you have comic timing and if you can, like your mother, tell a story, well then, yes. Yeah, you just have to tackle the writing. You yeah. just have to come up with the material. Yeah, um, which is probably the hardest part of all. Because for, sta- for you it is because mm. the, the stage is your home. Yeah, that's the glorious bit. That's that's the glorious bit. I mean, that's the bit I love. Um, coming up with seventy-five minutes of material takes yeah. me the best yeah. part of a year. Yeah, to be honest. So um, you know, it's an album. Uh, it's yeah. an album. Yeah. Like it's it's a year. It's work. And nobody pays you for that bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Unemployed. So, yes. yeah. yeah. So, Stephen, um, the director then, when you went to the Kilkenny Cat mm. Last Festival with him, um, was that the moment that you realised he was the one or were, was there moments after that? Well, I mean, I mean, look, the moment that you knew somebody was the one, 
I'm sure there's a series of moments. It's not just one no, where you no, go, with, you know, I, I, something I, profound happens and honestly, you go, he's it. Stephen, it was long before that. I, I, after about four four dates with Stephen. Really? Um, we had decided to move in together. And like our fourth date. Now, we were both, we were living next door to each other. It was like the sitcom Friends. I was a number three. He was a number four, right? No. Oh, three girls in that house. Three boys in that Stop. house. Oh, yeah, oh I made crack. notes. <gasps> I made notes about a good idea for a sitcom. This oh, was long before Friends happened. Oh, my God. Wasn't I good? Yeah, oh. just nobody knew me or knew it. And these thoughts existed. And uh, we'd been in these two houses for, for, for two years. Yeah. And our leases were, we were all having to leave. And Steve and I had just got together. Literally a week, two weeks before this. And like on our... But I mean, you know, when you know, you know. And I was 25 years old, so I wasn't a baby, you know. Although, you although, were. Yeah, now I suppose yeah. I think that's very young. Yeah. But you're an adult as well at 25, aren't you? Like he was 27, 28. Yeah, he was yeah, 28, yeah. so he was three years older. Uh, anyway, I had no doubts whatsoever. Um, I mean, I think it was on our fourth date that he said, I think we should move in together. And I said, well, I was thinking the same thing. So let's oh just do God. it. So cute. So it was a huge leap of yes. faith. Yeah. But um, I didn't have any doubts about it at all. Um, what about a laugh out loud moment? I mean, have you had many? I mean, have you had loads, lots of forced Hundreds laugh? of thousands. <laughs> yeah, I know. There's a lot of laughter in my lot. life, thank yeah. God. Isn't that thank brilliant God. though? Because there's also been a lot of pain. So it's amazing. Jesus, there has, there right. has been like, you know. Uh, oh no, and the laughter has saved me. You know, it, it has saved me many times mm. uh, from the dark. So laugh out loud moment, I'm not sure I could pick one. I mean, honestly, I... What about a moment that changed you forever? I mean, I'm sure there's been a few and a few that I could think well, of. Well, the one we've already yeah. mentioned changed me forever when I became a comic. Um, I think Noble probably changed me forever. Really? Making the movie about Christina, yeah. yeah. But, you know, it was the first time that something immense happened to me, as in the dream was big. You know, I was married to a filmmaker. I said to him, I want to make a film about Christina Noble. That means shooting in two continents, Vietnam and Ireland or the UK. I wanted to play her myself. He was saying, OK, the reality of this are not good because you're not a star. Mm. You're not, uh, you know, in, in star terms and film terms, you're only currency when you are a proper international star. So he said, so that's that's really difficult. Um, uh, however, I just had decided that this was going to happen come hell or high water. And and it did happen. And it was kind of miraculous. And it wasn't uh, all easy or plain sailing and took an awful lot out of us. And it was five years of our lives. However, it did happen. Mm. And it, it was a lesson in, yeah, you can move mountains, actually. Mm. You actually can if you, if you really. Yeah. And Stephen wrote it and yeah. raised money for it. Did he direct it as well? He directed, he directed it. Well. He wrote, directed and produced. Right. And I mean, I... You know, was kind of like his Part, muse, yeah, and we, absolutely. We, we did a lot. You know, it was in our. It lived in our home I for know, five years. That's what I just it think is intense. mad. So, the, so this is when you were living in London. The kids were yeah. young, yeah, and it happened in your home for mm. like, as in the actual. Some of the filming happened in your home. No, or, no? God, no. I no, mean, the filming was uh, Vietnam and yeah. and the UK, Liverpool. Uh, I mean, look, it was a, it was a five million dollar picture you know yeah. it was a huge it was a huge thing to make it was massive in fact we did it we did it mm. and I'm awful proud of it but I mean as a as a moment it was a lesson in and I and and later when Darren asked me to take on comic relief it wasn't an ideal time for me to take on comic mm. relief but I did think you just cannot say no to these things mm. you know and, and that was a response to the migrant situation and the dinghies coming in and I just couldn't look at it I felt physically sick and I thought well you you have to do something you can't just be physically sick that's mm. not going to fucking help anybody excuse mm. my French um, 
so again, that was another moment. But I don't I think it was informed by the fact mm. that we got Nova made. Do you know what I mean? Everybody told me that was not possible. We would not get that film mm. made. Everyone, including Steve, who didn't really believe it. So I thought. Do you have a tendency, though, to take on lots of moments, like not uh, not let them pass you by, even though sometimes, as you said, there's just too much going on and it's not the right time, but you just have to grab it because it's there, visible. It's a moral issue, isn't it? It's, yeah. It's um, like Comic Relief. Steve was unwell. You know, he was he was having treat- cancer treatment when I took on Comic Relief. I had enough to do. Mm-hmm. He wasn't able to work. I was trying to keep Fred on the table, keep everything, keep the show on the road look after two children, spend half the day in the hospital and then uh, it wasn't a great time to take on comic no, relief. No. But, but I, I, I'd I, had, uh, well, okay, well, here's a moment. You asked me about a mm. moment. I, I've forgotten this. Okay. This was actually the moment that informed the next bit. So, Steve had a huge surgery have his liver removed pretty much. And when I went into the hospital to see him that night, he was... In the high dependency unit, it looked like he'd been pulled from a car. There were so many wires. He was just, oh, he was just, you know, you know, the the, mm. the vision, the picture. I don't need to paint it anymore. Uh, you're married to a surgeon, aren't you? Uh, <laughs> let's just get that in. She's married to a surgeon. That'd be the most impressive thing we'll hear today. <laughs> That's, we've just taken something away from ourselves there. It's not. It's not. Um, Anyway, I don't need to paint the picture to you. So I was on my way to Vicker Street to perform mm. a stand up show and make a thousand people laugh. And I was shaking physically because I thought he might die. He looked like he could die. So I do remember, you know, and I have told this story a couple of times. You know, I, there was a nurse. He, I wish I could knew his name and could find him. But I, he, he was a very handsome male nurse. And I grabbed his arm and I said, I said, I have to go to work now. And I said, please tell me that I don't have to be worried about him. Mm. And he said, you really don't. I've got this. He said, I'm going to do my job. Now you go and do your job. Mm. And it was just really practical. And but it was, but the point was, I was able to go and do the job. I was actually able to compartmentalize. I was able to go on stage, do my thing, put Steve out of my mind for as much as I could for an hour and a half. Now, it was a bit of an out-of-body experience. Mm. I do remember I was just sort of going through the motions, but it doesn't matter. The audience didn't know that. Mm. I delivered it and it was okay. And that was very empowering. Mm. It was very empowering. I thought, my God, afterwards, I thought, if I can do that, I can do bloody anything. And that was part of my reason for saying yes to the comic group. Yeah, yeah. But the stage is a is a gift in that, isn't it? I mean, to be able to give you that space, that sacred space that you can actually will let you have to. You have to put things aside. But in a way, it's, it is a gift, though, isn't it? It's very interesting to me that you've used the words a sacred space, because I think that's actually very accurate. I mean, it, it is a sacred space because you are suspended. It's not like I've often said, well, everybody has to, lots of people have to go to work in different cir- difficult circumstances. Lots of people have a sick child or a sick husband or a sick or somebody ill and they're, mm. they're they're going to work. They have to keep going. Mm. I suppose this is slightly different because it's very it's heightened. You're, you're going on stage mm. to entertain and it's a it's an intense hour and a half. That's like it. Not, That's it. Um, if you can be distracted, if you're working on a till, if you're working in a shop, um, you know, if you're working in an office, you have time to look at your phone or check your phone. You have time to take a call. You have time to look out the window and think, even if it's just for a second, oh, shit. When you're on stage, there's no time for that. There is no seconds. No, and you can't fail Mm. either. You can't have a bad show. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, people have bought the ticket. You've got to deliver the goods. So that's that's fine. 
But anyway, you know, I think a sacred space is an amazing way to put it because I, I firmly believe it saved me in, the, in that period of time. Whereas most people would say, oh, my God, you had to go on and do a show. But mm. it was the show. It was the tour that saved me because mm. it was my escape. Absolutely. Because you know, otherwise it's relentless. It's the, the heaviness is relentless and the emotion is relentless. Mm. Whereas I actually had to park it. Yeah. And I did. Yeah. And listening to laughter from the crowd and maybe even having a little bit of laughter yourself lifted your energy. Yeah, totally. And they carried me. They, they carried absolutely you. carried me. Yeah. yeah. That's probably part of the reason why you love the stage and audiences so much and love people and love performing because there's a bit of gratitude there. You're saying, God, thank you. You feckers like you fucking save me. Thank you. A hundred percent. And and funnily enough, it happened to me recently. There, there was a, a little bit of a tragedy at the school, at our kids' school. And oh, I had to go on stage that night and I was really in pieces. And I, I kind of had a moment of, oh, God, please let this be a good audience because not every audience mm. is amazing. You know, some are a lot better than others. But I thought this audience really needs to carry me. And it was in Clane about two weeks ago. And I would say, Possibly in the six months of my tour, they were the best mm. audience. I don't know where they came from. There was nearly 500 people in the room that came down from the mountains. Mm. I wasn't expecting that number. <laughs> I thought I thought it's going to be at 300. And I arrived in mm. Colum, who was my promoter, said, Jesus, dear, there's 500 people here. I said, oh, God, that's great. You know, I could yeah. just feel myself starting to sort of, I could feel the heaviness of the day lifting off me. And from hello they were screaming. They were wild. They were howling. They'd had drinks. They wanted to be out. I, say, I said to them, Jesus, we're really in a post-war environment now. They were, yes, we are, we're out. And it, and it was just amazing. It was no work for me. They carried me for an hour and a half and I loved them for it. Amen to them. Yeah. Amen to the clean audience. Yeah, totally. Um, okay, let's get back on track then for a moment. Um, your most challenging life moments. Now, I know you've discussed some of them probably there now, but... Is there any others apart from Stephen getting sick? Uh, it, it was the most challenging because it wasn't just uh, getting through illness. It was uh, everything. Else. We'd moved country. We were in new schools. I was, you know, we had only returned to Ireland two weeks after 10 years in London. So everything was, mm. it was just upheaval on oh, an incredible gosh. scale. You know, it was like he'd gone into hospital. Suddenly a salary was gone. We'd had a massive rent because we'd moved into this big house. I, mercifully, I had a show to do again mm. save me financially um, yeah so it wasn't just dealing with the illness it was it was kids new schools new country this that the other I remember there was a bit of bullying at school oh, oh like God. it was just a tsunami oh, of gosh. that does happen to us doesn't it yeah and, it and, and there's this fog around you it's like I can't even and my father wasn't well your father, my wasn't, father well wasn't well also. at all at the time <sighs> Oh, it was just relentless. Did it you just eat during relentless. that time? Did you drink during that time? I did. I, I'm time? a comfort eater. I Are you? Yeah, I am. Tinchy. I am. No, no, I wasn't tinchy well, then. You mustn't need much comfort No, then I've lost a bit of weight. I definitely had weight on me because I remember after 18 months of that, I went into Dancing with the Stars. Oh. Oh, yeah. Go on, Deirdre. <laughs> the perfect and detox. I was definitely <laughs> a stone heavier than I should have been. And I was very self-conscious. And, I and by the end of the show, you were a stone I'd lighter. lost that stone. I had lost that stone. But it, that was a stone that I shouldn't have had on me. Do you yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I was eating badly. I was on the When you're on the road, you don't eat well. You yeah. don't. It's impossible. It I, if I eat another toasted cheese. I live on toasted cheese sandwiches because they're safe. And that's mm. that I live on. And... Um, so, yeah, no, I was eating badly and grabbing Mars bars and yeah. grabbing cans of Coke and Red mm. Bull to keep myself going. Do you know what I mean? It was all that for a year. So obviously I was a stone heavier and I, I yeah, 
I, I don't look at the pictures. The, the early photographs from Dance with the Stars, I don't. I don't. <laughs> I'm going to have to root them out now and have a look. Oh, they're shocking. I'm definitely oh, having a sh- look. The billboard that went on the side of the buses. I look like old Mother Hubbard. The hair was <laughs> up in a bun. I had a red lip and I don't do a red lip. So it was a red lip, hair up in the bun, <laughs> no waistline. I look 10 years older than I do now. Yeah. I, I really did. <laughs> I really did. I look 10 years older than I do now. And how many years ago is it? Oh, um, uh, pre-COVID, was it? Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Four or five years uh, ago. I think it's five. five. It's definitely five, yeah. So, Deirdre, what about your, your standout stand-up moment? I think that moment has to be when when you cross... There's a moment in stand-up, if you're lucky, where you cross out of the club scene and into the theatre scene. It means it's the first time that you've sold a ticket on your own name. Before that, you're, yeah. you're a club act and you're on a bill and mm. that's fine. People don't really care who they're getting to see. Mm. Um, and that moment was in the Olympia. I wish I could remember the year. Um, probably on the cover. It was my first shot because it was a, a first DVD that I shot on the same night. But that's special. Like mm. when you fill an Olympia or Vickers yeah. for the first time, it's a moment. It's a big moment. Were you shitting yourself? Um, no, I was more excited. I really? Was, I was really excited. Uh, and I knew the show inside out at that stage. Yeah. So, um, I, I, do you know what I was nervous about? Uh, when, when it was suggested to me mm. that I play that room, I went, I'm not, I'm not big enough to fill that room. I'm not. I'm not going to sell. I'm not going to sell the Olympia, and it sold really quickly. But I, I had no sense of myself. Mm. I had no sense. You don't know what you can sell as an act until you put mm. something on and you try to sell the tickets. But I was astounded. I was absolutely blown away that twelve hundred people bought tickets to come in there. I was just like, oh mm. my god, and that's an amazing feeling. That is just amazing. I'm chasing it ever since. Yeah, I was going to say, do you have a sense of yourself today then? 21st I mean, of January. Like, Olympia. Yeah. <laughs> Demented. Yeah. It's, nearly, it's nearly sold out. Is it? Yeah. Brilliant. Do you have a sense of yourself today? Or do you not care? Yes and no. Yeah. Yes and no. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised. Right? Like, I think I've made quite the comeback, you know, because I, I stepped away from mm. stand-up for 10 years. This is what people... Don't realise. So when I was in the UK, I was only making Noble, Moon Boy. I did some theatre. I went back to being an actress for 10 years because I just couldn't do it all. My kids were little. You know, Daniel was born there. So I just, my physical body just could not go on the road. I just thought, it's not really possible. Like you can't, the mother really is the one. I don't care how shared we say this experience is. Um, <laughs> unshared. Or unshared, <laughs> you know. And I have a husband who's hands on. And uh, I'm still unshared. Yeah, still the lion's share, right? Is If you're the one who's picking up from school and doing the dinners, then you're the one who's doing it. Um, so I was really doing that. And um, I just... I just couldn't go on the road. So stand up was parked for 10 years and I lost a lot, as in all of my colleagues, I would say, are very well off. Really? All of my male colleagues who are comedians built their audience for 10 years and I didn't. I let my audience go. I, you have to build your audience. So I'd had them. They were in there filling the Olympia for me. And then mm. I went away for 10 years. Mm. So when I did Dancing with the Stars, that was my comeback. It was my well, it was when I came back to Ireland. That was my first stand up show in 10 years. Mm. And I was kind of the reason I said yes to Dancing with the Stars. I thought, well, you know, if you're on the telly for 12 weeks, that's going to bring you, that's going to land you back. I didn't particularly want to do it. Yeah. I was very conflicted. I said no, like three times at least. And then, you know, the smart thinking took over and it was like, well, you do have a tour to sell. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and 
you know, you do need to sort of get back on track. But I haven't built, I haven't come back to what 10 years of being on the road would have done. Really? No. No. But I'm getting there. Good woman. I'm getting there. Slowly but surely, yeah. You are. You're still trying to make it. Yeah. (laughs) Swear to God, it's relentless. (laughs) But you like that, though. I think you like the struggle. You like. Don't play on camera. You do. I I think you don't like the struggle. You wouldn't. I would like the gigs to be like playing. I would like 500 people every night of the week. That's what I'd like. Uh, But, you know, I'd like to be doing 10 nights. uh, No, I I don't know. You wouldn't like to be resting on your laurels. You need you need a challenge. You like, but that is a challenge. Uh, you know, I still have to write the show and go on the road. It, but it's just about ticket sales. And listen, I, you know, I, I cannot be ungrateful for where I am and what I have. But yeah, there's a little bit of me going. You made a right balls of this. <laughs> no, but you you didn't because you said that noble was that was one of the proudest yeah. moments of your life, and doing that gave yeah. you so much, and you it, did it, and you knew that having done it, that you could do anything after that. So you gained all that from taking those 10 years or five years with Noble. Thank you. I think this should be a therapy podcast. You're very good at this. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like maybe I should pay you. There you go now. Um, Okay, so a moment you can't wait for and don't say when this podcast is over. Obviously not. I'm enjoying this podcast immensely. I can't wait for my Olympia show in January. I'm genuinely dying to get back in that room. And of course, because I watched Bono in it the other night, I went, ooh, this is my room. Give it to me. I want it now. Um, So I'm I'm longing for that. Like I just I love those. I love those big rooms. The bigger, the better. Uh, I'm longing to do comic relief again. Like I'm, I'm really desperate to get it going. You know, I mean, I'm very proud of that. We raised six million quid on the telethon. It's not a small amount of money. I went to Gaza. I've seen where the money goes. That's a very powerful thing. And I am really like pushing that up a mountain at the moment, me and Darren together. And, I, and I, not just me and Darren, because we have a board of about six people who are all putting in a hell of a lot of work. Um, you know, it's it's a big it's a big operation. And when are you looking at? Is there a date? Is there? We're looking at and hoping for early twenty four. Right. Um, we'll end with this one: um, the Christmas moment. So it can be whatever you want, one that you look forward to, a moment in the past, something that you that symbolises Christmas for you. I know you're such a fan of Christmas. If I think back to. Um, my Christmases as a teenager. Yeah. We did have a very big poker game at oh, Christmas. My wow. my grandmother was a great poker player and I loved that poker game and everybody grabbed all the money they had, all the brown coins and all the whatever money you had and sat at the table and we played it for hours and it was a post-Christmas dinner game of poker. I love it. Yeah, I should reinstate this and I'm just realising my kids don't know how to play poker and we need to teach them. Listen, thank you so much. Thank you Bianca and there you have it Deirdre Kane. I love you you've got funny bones thank you for joining me on VP Moments and thank you to you our listeners for listening hope you enjoyed Deirdre takes her demented tour to the Crescent Theatre in Drogheda on December 16th with loads more dates in January including a very special one at the Olympia Theatre on January 21st DeirdreKane.net for all the need to knows Ticketmaster.ie for the Christmas present that will make them laugh and that's it. Let's chat again soon. This is VIP Moments, the podcast series brought to you by VIP Magazine.